Would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we begin our time? Father, once again, we bow before you knowing how desperately we need you for understanding. We are desperate people. And you have given us your spirit that we might be led in all truth. We're grateful that we have your word, that it is absolute truth. And that through your word, we know you. Well, Lord, this morning, as we think about what your word says to us, may it challenge us, encourage us, equip us, motivate us, shape us, that we might be more like your son, Jesus Christ. For the sake of the gospel and the forsake of your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue our time this morning of worship in the study of God's Word, I'll ask you, if you're not already there, to open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, as we continue our study on a faith that finishes well. I want to just say thank you to Russ for filling in last Lord's Day for me as he was faithful to do that in light of the passing of my father-in-law. What a great time together to study last week on the issue of humility. And um, I know Russ announced tonight I was going to do some scriptures on the atonement, some talking about the atonement again, but I, I felt it necessary in light of my week and what had taken place and to piggyback just on what he had spoken about last Lord's Day to, to deal with the issue once again of humility from Ephesians chapter 4. So that is for tonight. But this morning we're here in Second Timothy or Second Peter chapter 3, and we are going to be reminded this morning by the Apostle Paul through the Spirit of God that if we are going to finish life with faith that remains steadfast, then we must never discount God. We must never discount God. It became once again impressed upon my mind and heart over the past few weeks that there is nothing in life more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality that life changes when you least expect it to change. In fact... In all of life, there is only one factor that matters, and that is the God factor. The God factor. It is God and God alone who rules. It is God and God alone who gives, and it is God and God alone who takes. It is God and God alone with whom all people will one day face, and therefore it is God and God alone that we must never discount or ignore in our hearts. And yet, sadly, that is what mankind has done. We have seen this in our very study of Second Peter. Maybe you haven't necessarily recognized it as we have gone through this, as Peter tells us of the very nature and character of false teachers. They are those who boastfully espouse all kinds of 
things. They use religious words and they speak of lofty truths in which they have no real knowledge, no real understanding, no relationship with Jesus Christ. They claim all along to be truth tellers when they are actually liars. And at the base of all their words is the notion that God really doesn't exist at all. And if He does, at some minute level, He really is indifferent about all of us anyway. In other words, false teachers, by their very words and through their very actions, they implicationally proclaim that there is no real supernatural being who is sovereign over all things. Because after all, history has been marching along since the beginning of time with little, if any, variation at all. In a word, false teachers and those like them actually deny God. They are denying God. They discount God. You say, how so? Well, Peter tells us that it's by intimating that Jesus Christ is not going to return. That Jesus Christ is not coming back. Remember verse 4? Here's what Peter says that they say. Where is the coming or where is the promise of His coming? Now, I've been in the Christian community for my entire life or the entire memory of my life. I was going to church before in my youngest of years. So I've been in the church probably 53 of my 57 years of my entire life. And I certainly haven't heard someone in some supposedly credible religious group or institution say those very words. I haven't heard someone speak with that kind of phraseology, so how do they intimate that kind of question without saying it? How is what Peter's saying here accurate? We don't hear those words. Uh, certainly there were those in the ancient world that said this. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees questioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ at the very outset. The apostles preached the return of Jesus Christ. And so how are people then and today saying, where is the promise of His coming? Well, they do it by denying the history of the world as God gives it in His Word. That's how they do it. They do it by doubting the history that God gave us. Peter says in chapter 2 and verse 1 that they secretly introduce destructive heresies. Those secret heresies deny the atonement. They deny the reality of a sacrificial death. They deny the death of Jesus Christ altogether. They deny the atonement, and by denying the atonement, it implies that there is no need for a sacrifice for sin. And thereby, if there is no need for a sacrifice of sin, then, then man is actually not guilty before God. 
And therefore, that implies that what God has said is not true, and therefore what we read about God in the Bible is just a myth. Just a story. Chalk it up to Aesop's fables. Put it on the same level as the mythical fiction books that you might have. Why? Why can we chalk it up to that according to those implications? Because the Bible says that man fell into sin in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible tells us that it's only through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for sinners that we will ever be saved. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ will in fact return one day. So if there's no need for a death, if there's no need for an atonement, if there's no need for a sacrifice of sin, then God isn't really telling the truth. And therefore, none of this is true anyway. God really isn't who you say he is. And so to deny any part of the history of the world as God has given it is tantamount to denying God altogether. It is in reality to deny the supernatural. It is to discount God in the worst kind of way. Therefore, for us who have believed what God has said, for us who have faith in Jesus Christ, for the saving of our souls from the eternal punishment that comes from God, for those who desire to finish well in the faith, It is imperative that we never discount God in our hearts, never discount God in our minds, and thereby in our actions. And so Peter comes in as an old man reflecting on life. And he's writing here to encourage us, the Christian. He's writing here to encourage you and I. You and I are here in 2000 now, 21, walking by faith, reminding us that we have a blessed hope coming. We have a coming hope because God is, in fact, carrying out His plan. In fact, this has been on the heart of Peter since the very beginning of our study. You remember back in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Peter says, hey, listen, listen, when we spoke to you, none of this is a myth. It wasn't some cleverly devised fiction book, the best novel on the day. No, who is who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, all of the history of the past. None of it is fake news. In other words, when it comes to how you and I view life and the history of this world, never dismiss and never discount God. Would you please focus your attention with me on verse 10 of chapter 3. The Apostle Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. 
Remember these words, the Apostle Peter is piggybacking on what he has said concerning the false teachers who claim that Jesus Christ is not coming back, that the history of the world has gone on from the beginning of time ever since it has, and nothing will ever change. Peter's already told us that in believing that, they have it has escaped their notice exactly what the history of the world was. That in the past, God did exactly what He said He was going to do. The world was, in fact, flooded with water. The earth that was created in that way was, in fact, destroyed that way. And the present heavens and earth, by the Word of God, are being reserved for the day of fire. For the day when, in fact, Jesus Christ will come and He will judge ungodly men. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, He says. Seems rather providential that we are here. God's timing. Dealing with this subject at this point in our own history. Doesn't it? Doesn't it seem rather providentially ironic because the real trouble today in the minds of many is with what is going to happen in the future. It's going to happen in the future. Which is indirectly to ask questions really about history. How do I judge what's coming? In fact, anxiety about the future is exactly what is behind what we see happening in our world today. We have experienced and are currently experiencing things that were unexpected. In other words, things that we took for granted in the past are now being viewed as ridiculous. They're being viewed as dangerous if you do it. And some of those things are even being removed and even deemed unallowed. And there is uncertainty around every corner, and therefore it is not strange for any thinking person to ask, what is all this going to lead to? And that is simply to say, that the whole idea of stability of life has become completely shaken. Therefore, people are looking and asking for some directing purpose. And our world is giving any number of answers. One answer is that all of this is about the inevitable progress of mankind. In other words, man is and has been since the beginning of time, just like the false teachers here in 2 Peter chapter 3, man is just advancing. And all that you see going on today is just another step in man's eventual progress of eventually arriving at utopia. Everything's just getting better. This is all just part of the process. And some say, if you're wondering about what is happening in our world today, just look back at the history of the world and it will clearly show you how man has progressed in his development. And therefore, this is just another step. Just another step. Man advancing. By the way, 
By the way, if you weren't aware of it, that is the Marxist and communist view of life. Inevitable progress. That's, that's the mantra of Marxism and the mantra of communism. Evidential progress, whereby material forces just come together and struggle against one another in order to advance the whole until there is no longer any differences at all. Total classless state of society. No gender differences. No economic differences. No differences in ethnicities. The inevitable end of progress. Others come along and try to explain the history of our day simply as a result of ongoing cycles. This is just another cycle, they say. They, they explain it by trying to say it's like climbing a circle, a stationary circle. You start out on one part, and as you climb higher and higher and higher, you get to the eventual point at the top where you start to go down again. So their explanation of what's going on is just a matter of going around and around. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. It's all fate. It's all chance. Just a matter of where you are on the circle. They would acknowledge that certainly there are forces at work. There are external forces that are going on, but no one understands them. No one controls them at all. The outcome is just blind chance. Just celestial dice rolling. And so the rise and the fall of nations is just part of the cycle. Others say that all of history can be explained through science. Just take a look at science. They turn to the second law of thermodynamics. They espouse that history of the world is, is just the outworking of a law of physics. One of the aspects of the second law of thermodynamics is simply, simply says that everything in the world is losing energy. Everything is just losing energy. Everything is proceeding to its stopping point. We're like, a, we're like a big clock that's wound up at the beginning, and as the clock of time goes around and round, it loses more and more of its energy. To one point in history, we just run out of energy. All of those theories are interesting. All of them... have some interesting details, and there have been endless pages of material written by men of physics and philosophy about each one of them. And yet they all have one thing in common. They all have one common reality. Each and every one of them discount God. None of them account for the supernatural, and thereby, because they don't account for the supernatural, every one of them lacks any hope. There is no hope in any of them. They are hopeless theories of what is to come because they all factor out God. They all leave God's accounting of history 
like a filmmaker editing a film. They leave it on the cutting room floor. It's part that it does not need to be seen, and yet it is only God's history that gives us hope. Because over and above any of those theories, the Bible says that history and what is to make up future history is absolutely under God's control. In other words, the history of man is not simply the outworking of forces working against each other until one reaches a final perfection. It's not the outcome of some blind chance. The history of mankind is is not the outworkings of the second law of thermodynamics and entropy where everything is losing energy. No, the history of man and what is happening in our day clearly shows us that God is in control and that God has a purpose. God has a purpose. We can never discount God. You say, how do you know this? Well, just read through the Old Testament and you will see that the history of the ancient world, as you catalog the history from the beginning of time, as God has said it all the way through to the end of the book of Malachi, you understand clearly that God had a purpose. And then when you turn the page and you go into Matthew and read all the way through the book of Revelation in the New Testament, and you see the life of Jesus of Nazareth, you know that God had a purpose. And even then, when you read through the comparatively short history of the true Christian church, you can see that the historical progress is in the hands of God. Like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, all of those factors show that God invented time, introduced time, brought time into the program of things, And that same God erupts into time and has had his hand on the clock of time. Unquote. He's right. God has a purpose. And so if we're going to be steadfast in our faith, we must never allow ourselves to forget God and forget that God controls all history. And in it, God has a purpose. That's the first thing we we recognize as implicational by the words of the Apostle Paul here, or Apostle Peter here in chapter 3, verse 10. God is in control of all of history. But there's a second truth about history that we have to consider that isn't considered in any of those theories, yet rarely in the thoughts of men. And that is the fact of sin. The fact of sin. This is the major flaw in the unbelieving mind. The unbelieving mind, the world, is so confused by what is taking place around them. Why? Because they do not factor in sin. According to the Bible, after God created the perfect man and the perfect woman and put them in a perfect world, Man went his own way and rebelled and sinned against God. So right there in the earliest chapters of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, 
right after the creation, an element is introduced into the history of man that it completely is opposed to the mind, the will, and the purpose of God. Sin. And so according to the Bible, according to God's accounting of history, all of the troubles and all of the problems within the history of man have to do with and rise from sin. It isn't entropy. It isn't the struggle of man against man. It isn't chance. It's sin. And let us not forget that the Bible tells us that when man sinned against God, it did not simply affect his relationship with other humans in which he lived. No, it affected everything that God created. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17 says, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But we have to realize, beloved, that the there would never, you realize this? Think about this. Do you realize that there would never be a thorn on that beautiful rose that you clipped from the garden had it not been for sin? You reach in there to grab that beautiful flower, by the way, that's tainted by sin. So I wonder what an untainted rose looks like. It must be extremely beautiful. You reach in there to grab it and the thorn sticks you and that thorn is because of sin. There would never be an endless supply of weeds around that rose bush that you're trying to grow and cultivate in your own garden were it not for sin. None of us would have to wake up tomorrow on a Monday morning and work all that day and all the next 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 day, all the next day were it not for sin. Just to have bread on the table. In other words, all of human history is different than what it might have been. All of the world is not what it once was because of sin. Sin. We have no concept of what this world was when God created it. No concept. Not one of us can rightfully picture what it was like. You know why? Because sin changed everything. Sin altered everything. The world and all that is part of it are not once they, what they once were. Nothing is the same. Sin has affected every part of the creation and therefore it has affected every part of man's history. Why do nations come and go? It's not chance. It's, it's not thermodynamics. It's not any other theory that man comes up with. It's simply because of sin. 
And this is the reality of man's history. Man has been trying ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God. Man has tried to live his life without God. And over the course of man's history that God has allowed by His grace and by His mercy, God has stepped into time to show man that He is in fact Lord over all things. Even though man continues to discount God. We've seen it here in Peter's words. There was a day in the ancient world when God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction and He reduced them to ashes. God stepped into the history of man. He stepped into time and God showed man that He is in fact Lord of all. Just prior to that in chapter 2, Peter says that God stepped into time, Noah was preserved, and yet the rest of the world was destroyed by water as God stepped into time and altered what man thought was their history. God was showing the world He is Lord of all, and now God is showing us in our day that He is Lord of all through a seemingly small, unseen virus. Therefore, no matter what happens, as man tries to make himself good by his own efforts, God erupts into time, and God crushes the heart of man. What's the cause of man's trouble? His sin. It's his sin. So listen, beloved, if we if we don't start with the doctrine of God being in control, if we don't see the reality of the doctrine of sin in the history of man as is declared by the Bible, then you and I can never expect to understand our own history let alone the history of the world or what is to come. And if we don't start there, our faith is just hopeless. Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We cannot factor out God. We cannot factor out the history of man's sin well, there's a third piece of God's history that man discounts. That's the history of the gospel. It's the history of the gospel. Because of sin, everything has been tainted and everything has gone bad. Everything is polluted. Everything's like that rotten piece of fruit in the back of the refrigerator that's been there way too long. And had God not stepped into time, everything would be perpetually like that. It would be perpetually evil. It would be perpetual hopelessness all the time. Thank our God that the Bible tells us about salvation. Thank our God that the Bible speaks of a way to be right with God. Praise God that the Bible tells us of God's action in our world.
Because God gave a promise. God gave a promise, and in the fullness of time, Christ came. And then, according to the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God and the wisdom of the counsel of the Godhead, Christ died a sinner's death on a cross. And God's plan is being carried out right now, today. He is saving His people from sin. He's bringing all of this to pass. And the doctrine of salvation tells us that God has a purpose in all that He does. And so here's Peter's point in our text. There's going to be a final end. There's going to be a final end. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Do you see, beloved? Peter's saying, listen, it may have escaped their notice, but don't let it, verse 8, escape your notice. Never discount God. Never discount God. This is what the false always do. They discount God. The plan of God seen being carried out in the ancient part and the ancient past of our world is continuing today. The plan of God is continuing and it will go on until that final day and it will come like a thief. Speaking to our Sunday school class this morning and saying to them, there's nothing more important in life than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the relationships that you are in because things change in a second. Things happen like a thief stealing something. You don't know they're coming. You don't know they're coming, but they come and they steal it. This is how the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief. You will not be expecting it. What is happening in our world today is all part of God's plan. God is using this time to call out His people. He is dealing with individuals. He is dealing with people. He is, he is rescuing souls. He, he is transferring some from the domain of darkness into the domain of His dear Son. He is adding them to His personal family. God is saving people, and it's all leading up to this final day. A day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Don't let it escape your notice. Don't be like the false teachers. Don't let it pass you. The world is not pressing on to some joyous moment. It is pressing on to this day, the day when the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Tells you what God thinks of recycling. 
The day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns will not be a day when he returns as Savior. He will return as judge. He will return as judge and he will judge the whole world. Sin and all evil. Every person that refuses to believe in the only Savior who is Jesus Christ will be destroyed. He doesn't mean annihilated. He doesn't mean go out of existence. He simply means they will be separated from God forever in an eternal fire. The world that we know it today will be destroyed. Uh, I wonder if the people of our day, I wonder if we as people of our day, if we discount God today, guess what? We will not be discounting Him then. The ancient world was destroyed by water, but ours will be destroyed by fire. There are people today who think that's utter nonsense. There are people today who would hear the words of this message and the proclamation that I am saying from the Word of God and say that is utter nonsense. To believe what the Bible says and take it as true is absolute ridiculousness. Our response to that kind of foolishness is simply to say that we as true Christians believe in what the Bible says about salvation. We believe what the Bible says about the atonement and every other part that the scriptures speak about and therefore why would we ever discount what is to come? We believe what God says. We believe what He said concerning His Son. We believe by faith that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. We believe that, so why would we ever discount God in the coming of the history of this world? Why? Because this is God's accounting of history. This is the only history book that matters. And according to 2 Peter 3 here, according to the words of Peter, we are not simply people who look forward to it. He says we are to be people who live differently right now, knowing that it's coming. You notice what he says? Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, verse 11. What sort of people you might be? Holy conduct and godliness. Looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt away with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for a the new heavens, the new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for the end of the law of entropy in order to create utopia here. We're not looking for the higher side of the circle in order that we can climb up and get better and better and better. No, we're not looking for any of that nonsense. We are looking for a new heavens and a new earth. You see, that's what Christians are. That's what Christians believe. That's where Christian stands. The Bible tells us that the Christian is one who really lives in light of what the Bible proclaims. 
We actually do what the Bible says. We actually change our way. We actually live in a worthy way because we know these things. This is how we are to look at the world. We are Christians. We as Christians are to be expecting exactly what we see happening in our world today. We should be expecting this. This should not surprise us. All of what is happening is to give us hope of what is to come, not despair. Now, I know, I know, I look at the world too. I look at the news, I I read the news lines and all those things, and my flesh is drawn in that direction to say, well, what is going to happen? And yet the reality is we're not to have that kind of despair. We're only to have hope. That is certainly not to say that all is well in our world. It is not. We live in a new form of insanity. The world is running headlong to destruction. But that not cause us to despair. That should simply bring us hope. Because we know it. And more importantly, we know the God who is going to bring it. Whatever we may have gone through in this life, whatever it is we may be allowed to go through whatever the world may do to us. If we are children of God, then we are heirs of God because we are joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. What do we have to worry about? None of this stuff matters. And certainly as we are here breathing today, There is a new heaven and a new earth coming. It is coming. And if you are God's child, you're going to dwell in that perfect world. So Peter says, what kind of person ought you to be today? In set-apart conduct, in godliness, in a life that reflects the very thing you profess. What kind of person ought you to be today, knowing that that perfect world is coming, and knowing that everything you see in the history of the world, regardless of what man says, and regardless of how man tries to explain it, you know the truth, you have the truth, you have the history of God, you believe the history of God, so never discount God. Live in such a way that your life reflects that. Reflects that you're not discounting God. Because, beloved, listen, if we're going to remain steadfast, we're going to remain steadfast in our faith. If we are going to have a faith that finishes well, then we must never discount God. Ever. Not even the smallest of ways. We must never discount God. God is our Savior. God is our hope. That was fast and furious, wasn't it? 
fast and furious. Let's pray together. Father, your sovereign hand is so upon us. Truth of who you are, the grace and mercy which you have shown us, the endless supply of strength. The constant revealing of our heart that we might repent. You have shown yourself to be faithful to your very word, every detail, every aspect, every part. Not one thing is going to go unfulfilled. And while the world may deny it by their very words and by their very actions, while they may say, where is the coming? Where is the promise? As if it was never going to happen, we know different. For you have been faithful to yourself and you will never be unfaithful to yourself. And your word will come true in every, every part. And this day will come like a thief and we are longing for that day, thanking you for salvation, praying that you would even this day call those to yourself whom you have chosen to save. May we see your patience as salvation, not as indifference. Lord, help us in every way never to discount you, to take your word seriously that you might be honored and glorified in our life, in our words, Lord. And if in our world we are faced with those decisions whereby the world tells us, denounce you or else, that we would be strengthened in our faith and simply stand with you. We'll praise you to the end of eternity thanking you that that never ends because you have saved us in our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen.